You're listening to Meet the RIA. In this special podcast edition of the show, you'll get expert insights from some of the top registered investment advisors in the country. Here's your host, Jenna Dagenhart, and today's special guest, Peter Malik, president of Creative Planning Incorporated. Peter, thanks for joining us. You recently tweeted, becoming wealthy, the basics. And the first bullet point you make is spend less than you make. Why is this so critical? Well, it just sounds so ridiculous. Like even when I was tweeting, I was like, does anybody actually want to hear this? It's been incredibly well received and pushed out there. And I think it's obvious, but nobody does it. I mean, I think that's the number one problem uh, that that people have. And, and, and it's not really that people don't get the concept. It's that they have lifestyle creep. Wherever they are in their life, their spending is already moving to the next level. And if you can keep your spending just a little bit behind where you're currently at, it allows you to put money away. And the only thing that's going to make, the only thing that's going to result in success over the long run is being able to save regularly, consistently, and as early as possible. And, and the number one thing you have to do to do that is not spend every dollar that you make. And another part of this equation, you say, is to earn more, which I'm sure is a little bit difficult for some people during the right. pandemic right now. Well, you know, I, I actually think that let's just say that, you know, we get through this and everyone can get a can get a job. And and let's just hope that that's the case. You want to be in an environment where you can work, earn more, even if you're working at McDonald's. If you do the right thing every day and, you, you know, you, you're going to get a raise every year at McDonald's and you can move up to a different role, a, a junior manager role, than a manager role. My son's 19, uh, you know, he let him out of college earlier, he went to work at UPS, they're hiring all kinds of people. And um, there they go through in the first few days, all the people that go from that to, to driving, to management, to very, very high levels. You just need to make sure you're in an environment where moving up is possible, or at least getting raises every year uh, is possible. If you're not in that environment, then you're missing the number two rule to accumulating wealth, which is you got to have your income grow over time. And another point you make is invest wisely, index funds. For those people watching right now who have no idea what an index fund is, how would you describe it to them and why should they even invest in them? You know, so you can go buy an individual stock like Nike or Google, or you can buy a mutual fund where a manager is trading stocks like that, or you can buy an index that just owns a big group of those stocks. So for example, you can buy the S&P 500 index in a variety of ways. You own about 500 of the biggest companies in America and boom, you're diversified and you're participating in the global economy. And over time, it's probably going to go up and to the right, meaning you're probably going to make money. If you're in it for one year, the odds you'll be positive are about 75%. But if you're in it for 10 years, the odds you'll be positive start to get really close to 100%. And so the, the, the more you can invest in things that don't cost a lot, that don't create a lot of taxes and that are diversified, you're not wasting your time saving. Put your money to work for you so that over the long run, you get the benefits of, of that money growing. And if you, say, bought American Airlines stock uh, at the beginning of the year, um, you wouldn't be in as much trouble if you were in an index fund because you have a broader mix of stocks, not just one. That's right. I mean, the, the index is basically saying, quit looking for the needle in the haystack and buy the haystack and you're going to get the needle. You know, if you own the S&P 500 this year, Amazon's crushing it. Apple's crushing it. Good news for you. Those are two of the biggest holdings in the S&P 500. You're making a ton of money. United Airlines not doing so hot, well, it's an S&P 500, you're going to survive. It's not the only thing that you own and your winners are gonna more than offset those losers. There's hundreds of, there's 500, around, around 500 stocks in the S&P 500. I bet 
close to half of them are probably have a negative return year to date, but the index is doing all right because it's got some, you've captured those high flyers to really lift up the average return. When you say that time matters, start as early as possible. Why is this, Peter? Well, I think if you're 20 years old and you're saving $100 a month over 10, over 10 years, then you stop versus someone who's 60 years old saving several thousand a month till they're 65 and stopping, the 20 year old's gonna have more money. Use a smaller amount of money saved earlier has more time to grow. So the rule of 72 tells us that about, if you earn say 7% on your money, about every 10 years, your money's gonna double. So you know, if you're 30, that's a lot of times your money gets to double before you turn 65 or 70. If you're starting when you're 55, you don't have as many time periods for your money to double. And so the more you can get that money in the market so it can compound and grow over time, the easier it is to not have to really hurt your lifestyle to accomplish what you want to accomplish. And every little bit counts, would you say, if someone's watching this right now and thinking, well, if I save $50 a month, does that really matter? Oh, it really, it really does. I think like even $50 a month, especially say if you're under 50, is a big deal. If you're over 50, we got to find a way to make it more uh, to get where you want to go. But every little bit helps. And the, the key here is time. Start as soon as you can. You know, one of my favorite sayings, uh, I can't remember who said it, but that the best time to plant a tree uh, was yesterday. The second best time is today. And so just get going, get a little bit of money into the market and give it time, give it time to grow. And easier said than done, of course. Uh, you also mentioned in your tweet, few people do these steps. Why not? And what can they do to overcome these hurdles and take these steps? Well, I think the, the, the reason most people don't do it is because it requires patience. And American, you know, this is not our thing. You know what I mean? Like if we make money, we want to go spend it. And we're consumers and we want to have fun now, now, now. And I deserve everything now, now, now. And this saving is intentional deprivation for future pleasure. And we don't, we just don't do that as a society. And so I think that those very basic things, I mean, 99.9% .9 of the stuff I write about and talk about is much more complicated than that. But at the end of the day, if you can't nail those four things and the huge majority of people can't, um, you're just not going to be, you're not going to be successful. So have the discipline to set up something, make it automatic or every paycheck, something comes out of that check and goes to the markets. And that's, what's going to help you help it work out and improve your odds over the long run. So just to quickly recap, those four things you mentioned are spend less than you make, earn more, invest wisely, and time matters. What are some quick tips that you would offer uh, to people to help them manage their debt? Well, I think that when it comes to debt, a key is prioritization and get it under control. So number one, don't add to the debt if you can help it. Number two, all debt's not equal. Make a list of all of your debts. So if you have credit card debts, you know, they might be, you might be paying 15, 20% there versus a home mortgage where you might be paying 4%. So the first thing you want to do is you want to pay off your highest interest debt first um, as quickly as you can. So instead of if, after you make the minimum payment to everything, don't make a, a little bit bigger payment to everything. Instead, add, make as big a payment as you can towards that highest debt, which is usually something like credit card debt or maybe a, maybe a car loan. Don't even save money. Don't invest in an index fund if you've got debt that's charging you more than 7% because by paying down that debt, you're getting a guaranteed 7% rate of return. From there, look at debts you can refinance. So if you're paying 4% on your home mortgage, you can probably go to the bank and change it so that today you might only be paying 3% or even less. And so a combination of make the minimum payment on everything, don't add to that pile, 
attack the highest debt first and then refinance the loans that you can helps get the debt under control and puts you in a position to get that albatross off of you so that you can move on towards saving. And in 2017, the New York Times wrote, quote, creative planning is at the vanguard of a profound shift in finance. So, Peter, that was three years ago. What's happened since then in the world of finance and what shifts are still yet to take place, in your opinion? I think you're seeing a big shift from people working, you know, with brokers moving towards independent advisors. And I am proud to say, I think we're the leader, uh, or at least a leader uh, in that space. We ourselves, since that article have come out, have more than uh, doubled in size as uh, clients have found us. I think you're going to see more of a shift towards that independent unbiased advice where this the advisor doesn't own their own products or doesn't sell uh, investments on a commission. I think you're going to continue to see clients demand people take into account things like tax and needs and not just age when building a portfolio. So I think there's more customization um, more tax sensitivity, more uh, more unbiased advice is what folks are looking for where the market continues to move. And your firm manages um, close to $50 billion across all 50 states. What's been your strategy throughout the pandemic to ensure that you're protecting people's money? So you know, I look at what we did in the first half of the year and how we see the second half of the year. In the first half of the year, we were very aggressive buyers in March. Um, so our clients were seeing us shift from bonds to stocks and cash to stocks through the the very severe drop, I think they're much, they are in much better shape uh, because of that. We took a, a lot of advantage of tax trading. You look at a fidelity study said most of their investors, uh, especially older investors, took part or all of their account to cash. You know, very very devastating given the sharp rise, and we don't know that we're going to retest those lows. As far as the outlook for the second half of the year. I think it's just still all coronavirus all the time. Yeah, there's other factors that matter a lot. I think the election, uh, unlike most elections, where I think very overrated how much they matter. I mean, this one could have a lot of tax implications that could have a direct impact on stock prices. But between now and then, it's coronavirus, coronavirus, coronavirus. What's been the biggest challenge for you trying to help people stay invested when Wall Street's fear index, the VIX, was spiking? And because if you pulled out your money in March, you potentially incurred doubled losses, losing, say, 30% of your money on the way down and also missing out on the recovery rally on the way up. Right. I wrote a book called The Five Mistakes Every Investor Makes and How to Avoid Them. And if you go to chapter one, page one, First words, say mistake number one, market timing. And this is a classic example of that. I mean, I think a lot of people are going to be, will have been permanently damaged. I don't know that we're going to see now 18,000, 20,000 again. We could, uh, but maybe not. Um, and I think our, our clients are, we're, we're so needs-based from an investment standpoint. They're, they, they don't have short-term money in stocks, so they have a longer time horizon. Uh, there's a tremendous amount of education that goes around how various positions in their portfolio are expected to perform. So they're not really surprised. Now, there, this was a little different. I mean, you had uh, social media in the spare market. We didn't have that in previous spare markets. You had everyone at home with nothing to do. You've never had that in a bear market before. You've got around-the-clock news. So it was kind of a perfect recipe to make a behavioral mistake. But 99% plus of our clients you know, didn't do that. I think they're better off because of it. Yeah, as you mentioned, you wrote a book, um, The Five Mistakes Every Investor Makes and How to Avoid Them. Why do people make so many mistakes when it comes to investing? You mentioned behavior. That's clearly yeah. at play here. I just think we're, you know, we're animals at the end of the day. We operate on fear and greed. And uh, those are very, very big emotions. And 
you know, we can all watch a movie and know it's a movie and it's a bunch of actors. And we still, I still, you know, jump out of my seat if it's a good horror movie. And I think um, the markets are like that. And there is such a drumbeat feeding our worst instincts. I mean, when you really think about like the weather channel, you know, you watch it when the weather's horrible. And the second you're no longer worried about a tornado hitting your house, you turn the channel. So there's just not a lot of incentive for a lot of what we watch. You know, a lot of people are watching a lot of cable news. There's not a lot of incentive for people to go, hey, you know, we're probably not all going to die. The market's probably not going to go to zero. Um, here are all the reasons that this, this is going to work out fine. And we've been through, I didn't hear one person say, well, I mean, if you're born in 1900, you went through World War II and, the, and um, a global pandemic that killed millions and millions of people and the Great Depression. And then you got to go through Korea and Vietnam and somehow the market went up through all of those things, right? It found its way to go up uh, over time through all of those things. We just, we feel very fragile. And a lot of what we read and see and hear around the clock is really feeding that. I think that, that unfortunately, despite education, um, it's just that constant drumbeat that causes people to go back and make those same mistakes. And Peter, thank you so much for your time and your insights. Really great to have you. Yeah, thanks for having me back. Thank you for tuning in to Meet the RIA. Visit AssetTV.com for more financial news and information, and be sure to check out our other episodes of the Meet the RIA podcast. This is Asset TV.